This week on Myths and Legends, it's the much-anticipated, much-requested story of the Monkey King from Chinese mythology. And you'll learn all about the shocking effectiveness of spitting chest hair at your enemies, and you'll see why you should be considerate of rocks. Because they might be expecting. The creature this week is a little introverted fish who just wants to be left alone. But since it cries pearls and its meat grants immortality, it's not looking like that's going to happen. This is Myths and Legends, episode 148A. Good little monkey. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Today's story is that of Sun Wukong, the Monkey King, and it's an extremely famous story from Chinese myth. The version I'm going with comes from the novel The Journey to the West. Published in the 16th century, it's one of the four great classical novels of Chinese literature. It's about a dangerous and kind of funny journey of one monk as he travels west to obtain sacred Buddhist texts. And he gathers together four companions, slash helpers, to atone for their mistakes. Today, we're not starting with the titular journey to the west, because the journey to the west doesn't start with the journey to the west. The next two episodes are dedicated completely to the origin story of the journey's most famous guardian, the intelligent and violent Sun Wukong, the Monkey King. And we'll see all the stuff that he did that he needs to atone for. There is a place that has existed since the dawn of the universe itself, a mountain in a land beyond the sea. It's called the Flower Fruit Mountain, and phoenixes fly around it, singing in pairs. Massive sea serpents churn the ocean around it. Dragons stride in and out of lost and lonely caves, deep within the heart of the mountain. And in the shade, unicorns rest. Of all these things, however, the most important, the most singular object on the mountain isn't, well, every archetypal creature that has marveled the world over, but a rock. On top of the mountain, there sat a stone that took the appearance of an egg. It was 36 feet high and 24 feet in circumference. The stone has existed as long as the mountain itself, yet no one cared what it was or what it meant. I mean, it was a rock. No one cared until it gave birth. One morning, the stone split, and from it tumbled a smaller stone no bigger than a soccer ball. The minute the wind touched the rock, creases formed, cracks and crevices sculpting the stone until it resembled something, until he emerged. It was a simple baby, monkey. True, this one had emerged from a stone older than time itself, but on a mountain full of phoenixes, dragons, and unicorns, one innocuous little monkey didn't raise many eyebrows. That is, until the monkey raised his own eyebrows, and golden light shot out of them. The mountain paused, the creatures froze, and the gods themselves took notice. The monkey blinked a couple of times before springing for the nearest tree, hooting and howling like your standard baby monkey. Years later, after he had grown up, the stone monkey, so-called because he was born from a stone and not because he was actually stone, didn't remember much of the immortal Jade Emperor's lackey who came down and grabbed him by the neck, inspecting the creature. The light that shined from its eyes 
startled the immortal, celestial jade emperor himself. The other creatures of the Flower Fruit Mountain were strange, but explainable. But this, this thing, even though it looked like a monkey, had been incubating for millennia. It was a leftover secret from what had originally formed the mountains, and the earth, and the heavens. What secrets did it hold? The emperor's lackey shrugged and tossed the baby monkey aside, and the creature, bruised and scared, scrambled up the tree. As it turned out, it didn't hold any secrets. It was a monkey, albeit one with an interesting origin story, and one who could shoot light from its eyes all Scott Summers-like, but a monkey that had apparently formed with the same essences as all the rest. They had nothing to fear, it was decided. So the monkey ran and played, drank from brooks and streams, ate the fruit of the trees, and made acquaintances with the tiger, lizard, wolf, and leopard. He sought out all the gibbons and the baboons and called them friends. Together, they slept in caves and traversed peaks. It was a time before time, an era in which the snows came only to be melted by the sun, and no one knew the year. All the monkey knew was peace. Now full-grown, the stone monkey stood above the others, but he was still one of them. One morning, they began wondering aloud, where do the streams come from? The monkeys looked at each other. They came to eat lice off each other's backs and explore the wonders of nature, and they were all out of lice. They decided to explore the stream. Weaving through the mountains and coming to its head, they looked in wonder on the massive waterfall. The monkeys clapped and smiled, saying that if anyone had the ability to enter the waterfall to find the source of the water, it would surely be their king. The stone monkey looked at the group's eager faces. It's, that's, that's not how waterfalls work, he started to explain. All their eager faces remained unchanged, undeterred. Seeing as he was heads taller than the others, he could probably make the jump. Decisively, he hooted three times and bound for the jagged rocks on the edge of the pool. He soared, flying toward the curtain of water. Half expecting to smack right into a cliff edge, the stone monkey was surprised to find, not rocks, but sun on his face. Inside, there were no waves or water, but land. A long iron bridge stretched up toward a mansion on a mountain inside the mountain. The stone monkey clambered up the bridge, and when he entered the house, he found it abandoned. There were stone ovens, pots and pans, beds and benches. A tablet in the middle revealed that it was the blessed land of the flower fruit mountain, the cave heaven of the water curtain cave. The monkey studied it. He realized two things pretty much immediately. One, he could read, yay. And two, the cave heaven of the water curtain cave, kind of redundant. Still, solid find. The stone monkey swiveled around and looked out across the vast lands. There was enough here. There was enough for all of them. This heaven would be their home. With that, he jumped from the waterfall and made the announcement. Four hundred years later, the handsome monkey king, as he was now calling himself, bore witness to yet another one another funeral. He had been named king shortly after leaving the waterfall and inviting all of his people inside. Together, they moved into the mansions. Not really knowing what a stone plate was, the monkeys immediately smashed all those, but the fruit was good and the weather was temperate, so they thrived. The monkey king, however, grew confused 
as the first generation of those he had found began to slow and turn gray. He knew of monkeys falling to predators or disease, but here in this heaven, there were neither. Still, they could only hold on for so long, and one by one, his friends began to slip away. It seemed that, despite their new ability to live longer than monkeys had ever thought possible, they were still mortal. It was then that the monkey king realized just how different he was from his friends. They died, but he lived. He became friends with that first generation's children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren until he stopped keeping track and stopped opening up. It was easier to say goodbye that way. It was as he stood looking out on the water curtain, the waterfall exit to this heaven, that he remembered something. Someone. A face. When he had just been born, before he climbed up his first tree, someone had come. He, it, had picked the monkey king up by his neck and inspected him. Even at that young age, the monkey had known this being was different. It had come from the gods. It was immortal. There were three. Three types of creatures that could transcend death itself. The Buddhas, the immortals, and the holy sages. Even if the handsome monkey king had to travel the world, he would find these people and learn their secrets. He would bring what he learned back to save his people. And so he sailed from the flower fruit mountain on his raft the monkeys had built for him, waving back to a beach of gibbons and baboons, cheering him on. last, the Monkey King made it to the western shore of the mainland. There, he left his raft and promptly found some strange apes on the beach. They were hairless, wearing cloth instead. They stooped down to collect clams from the sand, and as the Monkey King walked closer, they took a step back. He waved and smiled, but they only took more steps back. Then, one of the weird apes screamed, and the whole group broke off into a run. It wasn't hard to get some of their funny cloth. All he had to do was pounce on the slowest one and strip the creature naked. In no time, the Monkey King had successfully adapted to the culture of the region and put on clothes like the hairless apes who called it home. He congratulated himself on being a thoughtful and considerate traveler. The bruised and naked ape, however, clearly thought about it a little differently. The Monkey King might have thought himself wise and considerate, but he couldn't say the same for the hairless apes who called themselves humans. To the Monkey King, the humans were all seekers of profit and fame. There was not a single one who thought about the end of their lives, where they would go or what would happen. The actual story has a good bit in verse about this, and I actually think it's kind of poignant. It said that they were on an endless quest for fortune and fame, the tyrant of early rising and retiring late. They gave, and all it did was leave them wanting more as they piled wealth and power to give to sons of sons, while never considering that their own end was coming. The Monkey King, however, was not like them. He would find his way to immortality, but he knew he would not find it here among the humans. And so, he kept moving west. In time, he made it to another ocean and built another raft, just as his monkey subjects had built their handsome king. He sailed for days, until he found, on the horizon, another island and another mountain, as he floated closer, he could see that it was old. The youngest pines were over 10,000 years old. 
ancient ford's edge secluded paths, and every crag sprouted lichen and moss. He climbed over the edge of the raft and made his way into the ancient forest. He was nine years into his quest at this point, and he wasn't sure when or even if he would discover one of the immortals and divine their secrets. He was ready to spend another nine years, another 90 years if he needed, when he heard the man. Far off in the forest, it was a man who was complaining, loudly and in verse, as we all do, of how, when he sat down for a chess game, his axe handle rotted, how he could blink his eyes and it would be winter, blink again and it would be summer, how, if he made it to town, there was no use bickering about the price of rice, because the person might be dead before they were through negotiating, on account of him being immortal. The monkey king gasped at these words and rushed forward. He broke through the tree line to see the man chopping wood under a wide splint hand. The monkey king prostrated himself before the speaker, saying that the man's disciple raised his hands. The woodcutter shrugged. Nice. He never had disciples before. Also, what was the word immortal and what did it mean? And also disciple. The monkey king cocked his brow. Wait. If the woodcutter didn't even know what it meant, that probably meant he wasn't immortal. The woodcutter smiled and pointed at the monkey. Right you are, but his neighbor was. He taught him the song to sing whenever he felt anxious, which was constantly because he lived in crushing poverty. Wait, so a song about how great it is being immortal soothes your anxiety? The monkey king asked. Look, you want to nitpick this, or do you want to know more about my immortal neighbor? The woodcutter asked. I'm a monkey, so I actually love nitpicking, the Monkey King said. But yeah, we'll stay on track here. The Monkey King asked why the woodcutter didn't just ask his immortal neighbor how to obtain immortality. Uh, because of the poverty? The woodcutter replied. I mean, immortality is nice, but it's not going to put food on the table. And he had an aging mom to take care of. Who was going to make money if he sat in the cave practicing the austerities of a monk? The rope chafed his shoulder. Look, if you want to talk to him, go to the mountain of mind and heart. It's in the cave of slanting moon and the three stars. And yes, it does sound like the type of place where a monk teaches people how to be immortal. He's very good at branding. The monkey took his leave of the woodcutter, who was more than happy to be on his way. And the monkey began a long trek toward the mountain of mind and heart. Sitting on the branch of a pine tree, the monkey king was now bored. He had found the mountain and the door, a massive stone slab that led down to the cave of slanting moon and the three stars. He didn't dare knock, but simply sat in the tree eating pine nuts until the cave door rumbled open and, quote, the mountain's ageless boy walked out, which, yes, the mountain's ageless boy is the worst wrestler nickname ever, in case you were wondering. The boy announced that his master was giving a lecture, but before he rose from his couch, he said to come outside and take a look. There would be someone outside who wanted to practice austerities. The boy, however, didn't know that it would be uh, a monkey. Handsome monkey king, the monkey corrected and strode inside. The master, despite seeing something outside in his visions, berated the monkey king for, well, being a monkey. He demanded to know who this monkey's parents were. And the monkey said that he didn't have any. He was born from a rock. The master smiled. That's right. Confused, the monkey followed along as the master allowed him into the school and gave him the surname he never had. 
It came from the word Husun, since the monkey king resembled a pignola-eating monkey. For other reasons we won't go into involving his rank among the students and traditional names, the monkey king's first name became Wukong, which means wake to the void. So he would be known henceforth as Sun Wukong. Sun Wukong, the monkey born from a rock, now had a name and a purpose. And he was going to achieve immortality. Somewhere in the heavens, the immortal ones watched. Years ago, a flash of gold had startled them. And now, somehow, this little monkey had sailed across the world and entered the school of an immortal. They would need to keep an eye on this one. We'll come back to Monkey at College, but that will be right after this. Now, Sun Wukong, the Monkey King, wanted to major in immortality, but he had to knock out some prereqs first and spent about seven years learning arts, language, and etiquette. He discussed languages and doctrine, and he practiced calligraphy and burnt incense until, finally, the master approached to talk about disciplines on which Sun Wukong could focus the rest of his life. Sun Wukong wanted his discipline to be extending the rest of his life, and so he passed in the first five options, and his master slapped him across the face three times. Yeah, his advisor wasn't messing around. The monkey smirked, bowed, and left. He knew what he had to do, wink. Now, if your advisor slaps you in the face three times and tells you to get out of their office, kind of the last thing I would do is break into their house at midnight and watch them sleep. But Sun Wukong was a read-between-the-lines kind of monkey, and the master awoke with a start. Not because a giant, clothed monkey was looming over his bed, but because that giant, clothed monkey had sussed out his riddle. He truly was something special. The master gave him the ingredients to the elixir and sat back with a smile. There, that was how Wukong could obtain immortality. Focus on that elixir. Perfect that elixir. And it would be his. With a nod, Wukong smiled and left. And the master settled back and thought. The monkey king was starting the process late. There was a reason he himself was such an old immortal. The elixir took a lifetime to perfect. And only one who had perfected it could take it. The monkey king would be long dead before the elixir was finished. Or so the master thought. The monkey king appeared to have a difficult time grasping simple concepts. But that was only because he liked everyone underestimating him. He was the type of creature that once he understood one thing, he understood all the connections. And he wasn't afraid to ask questions and look stupid. Because the only way to become smart was to look stupid on occasion. It had taken him three full years. But he returned to the master. It was nearly complete. The elixir was just about finished. The master's eyes grew wide. And he took the monkey inside. That, no, no, that wasn't right. Show me. Sun Wukong did. And the master froze. It was perfect. Perfect and horrible. He sat Sun Wukong down and told him that either he needed to destroy that elixir or he needed to learn more, a lot more. Because if word got out that the Monkey King had made that elixir in just three years, 
all of heaven would come for him. In time, three calamities would come. The first would be the calamity of thunder, which was actually lightning, and was exactly what it sounded like. The second was the calamity of fire, and was also what it sounded like, and not super different from the lightning one, but still just as terrible. And the third would be the calamity of wind, which, after lightning and fire, didn't sound so rough, but it was actually a wind that entered your mouth and passed through your body, dissolving your bones and flesh. The master nodded. It was his fault. The monkey would be targeted by the celestials and must learn a way to avoid the three calamities. He would teach the monkey, the master announced. Sun Wukong nodded. He wouldn't be deterred from his quest now that he'd almost seen it through. What did he have to do? Cue a training montage where Sun Wukong, the monkey king, learned the 72 transformations of the earthly multitude. Moves like that of mist, where Sun Wukong flew into the air and used a cloud-soaring transformation to traverse the whole ocean in a day. When perfected, he could do one somersault that would carry him 108,000 miles, so about four times the circumference of the earth. The people gathered to watch marveled and were more than a bit jealous, not because he was now immortal with the ability to jump halfway to the moon, but because he would never have to worry about being unemployed because he could work as a courier and make deliveries really quickly. Yeah, they were worried about the important stuff. Showboating a little, he picked one of his 72 transformations and turned into a pine tree to the shouts of Marvelous Monkey from the assembled students. Amid the excitement, the master burst from his house and shouted for the students to leave. Now, Sun Wukong took one look and tried to slip away as well, but the master shook his head. Not you. The master took Sun Wukong aside, took a deep breath. It was over. The monkey knew everything, everything the master could teach him. So now, it was time for the student to leave. The master could weather the inevitable calamities, but the other students could not. Sun Wukong looked around, bewildered, despite his arsenal of training. Where was he supposed to go? The master shrugged. Wherever he came from. Didn't matter, as long as it wasn't here. The monkey king thought it over and agreed. Sure, he'd go, but he couldn't help feeling like he owed the master something. The master patted the monkey on the shoulder. Just don't tell the immortal ones where he'd learned it, and they'd be even. Sun Wukong nodded. He could do that. Good, the master said, hobbling off. Because if Sun Wukong didn't, he'd skin the monkey alive, break all of his bones, and banish his soul to the place of ninefold darkness. Bye. Sun Wukong sat wide-eyed. Wow. He really misjudged his relationship as a mischievous but serious student with his tough but fair teacher with a heart of gold. He didn't know what that heart was, but it was not gold. He crouched, did a somersault, and minutes later, stuck a superhero landing on the Flower Fruit Mountain, his old stomping ground. He was home. Only, something wasn't right. He looked up and saw smoke. Smoke was coming from the cave where he had lived with the monkeys. Something had happened. Sun Wukong stared wide-eyed at the ruins of the mansion in the heavenly cave. The monster had called himself the monstrous king of havoc. Wow, overcompensating much? 
Sun Wukong laughed. Said the handsome monkey king, one of his subjects dared. Sun Wukong bobbed his head from side to side. Eh, fair enough. The self-styled monstrous king of havoc had come, killing most of the monkeys and destroying their caves. The dragons and the sea monsters fought against it, but it was too big. They couldn't defeat it. Sun Wukong smirked. Well, their king was now home. Where did this monster live? Hundreds of miles away to the mountains of the north? Sun Wukong would be right back. With a stylish backflip, Sun Wukong disappeared into the sky and struck yet another superhero landing on the mountains of the north, right in front of the monstrous King of Havoc's cave. The demon's cronies shrieked and ran inside, warning their king of the five-foot-tall monkey's arrival. Sun Wukong heard a laugh from deep inside the cave as red eyes illuminated the darkness. The ground shook as the 15-foot-tall monstrous King of Havoc lurched outside in full armor, his scimitar resting on his shoulder. He peered down at the unarmed, unarmored Monkey King and laughed. Yeah, he was the one that harassed the monkeys on the Cave of the Flower Fruit Mountain, and yes, he would be killing the monkey who came to confront him, and no, it wouldn't take very long. He swung his scimitar and brought it down hard on the Monkey King, or so he thought. Because when the dust cleared, the Monkey King was standing next to him. The monster swung again, and again, the Monkey King was too fast. This time, the demon roared, and Sun Wukong brought out his own weapon, his hairy chest. Sun Wukong gripped the hair in his chest and ripped out a handful, throwing it in his mouth and chewing it up. The monstrous King of Havoc knew he probably shouldn't, but he was kind of eager to see where this was going and so he just stood there, mesmerized. The Monkey King spat the hair into his hand and threw it high in the air. It never came back down, because in its place were 300 clones of the Monkey King soaring down from the sky. For the monstrous king of overselling your nickname, the Monkey King was tiny, and the tiny Monkey Kings were even tinier. Still, 300 tiny monkeys covering your skin, pulling your hair, and biting you was pretty unpleasant and the monster quickly found himself swatting at them like flies. They died in droves, turning back into hair fluttering off into the cold mountain air, as they did. But, of course, the minuscule monkey kings didn't need to defeat the monstrous king of havoc. Just distract him. It wasn't until he saw one larger-than-usual monkey king clone climbing onto his arm that he realized he'd made a grave mistake. The real monkey king had jumped down onto the demon king of havoc scimitar, as it was raised over his body, and he brought it down, cleaving the monster's head in two. As Sun Wukong hefted the scimitar onto his back, the rest of the clones immediately turned back into hair and fluttered away on the wind. With weapon hooked on his back, the monkey began searching. They had to be here somewhere. The demon king had held captives here, and Sun Wukong would find them. In his search, he also stumbled across the former demon king's cache of weapons, with the remainder of his monkey friends standing behind him. Weapons gripped at the ready. Sun Wukong shouted and led the charge. And, summoning the wind, they all rode home together. One year later, Sun Wukong stood in the lair of the Dragon King. It was something that would have terrified him without his training, even with his trading, it still made him uneasy. 
At least he had an army of over 40,000 trained and armed monkeys outside to tear this kingdom apart if anything went down. That's why the Dragon King had been so amenable to Sun Wukong's request for both an in-person meeting and a new weapon. It was no secret that in all the land that the Dragon King had the best weapons. However, as Lord Eel and Lord Lobster paraded one inadequate weapon after another before the visiting Monkey King, the Dragon King was forced to reckon with the fact that the staff he kept deep within his mountain, the one that no one could lift, was glowing. It had chosen the one who would wield it. He'd heard the messages that morning from the people that kept the weapons. The staff had chosen the one who would wield it. A claw to his face, he asked the Monkey King to follow him. It had started glowing when the Monkey King's army approached, the Dragon King explained. Without a word, Sun Wukong touched the staff and lifted it. Everyone stood in awe. To their astonishment, the monkey wished aloud that it was a little lighter, and instantly, it shrunk to just the right size for him. The Dragon King's jaw dropped to the floor. It could do that? Did anyone else know it could do that? But already, Sun Wukong began swirling the staff, weighing over eight tons. The Dragon King cowered. With a furrowed brow, the Monkey King commanded the staff to shrink even more. In seconds, it was the size of a needle, and it fit comfortably tucked behind the Monkey King's ear. With a large grin, Sun Wukong nodded to the speechless crowd, and he left, his new weapon on his head. Of course, not everyone gave things freely to the Monkey King and his army. He ended up having to fight the dragons of the four seas, and from them, he won his golden chainmail shirt, phoenix feathered cap, and cloud walking boots. Eventually, however, it was time for Sun Wukong to return home to the Flower Fruit Mountain with his 40,000 strong monkey army. There, he immediately began forging alliances with the kings of the island and sea. The Bull Monster King, the Dragon Monster King, the Garuda Monster King, the Giant Lynx King, the Macaw King, and the Orangutan King. They organized themselves as the Fraternal Order of the Seven. With his power, army of violent monkeys and allies, the handsome Monkey King knew that he was now untouchable. He had done all he could to create a stronghold around himself, but none of that mattered. Not when the servants of the gods of death came for him. They walked past everything he had built, everything the Monkey King had hoped would save him. They walked and presented a paper with three characters. Sun Wukong printed on it. The handsome Monkey King's time had come. The gods had finally decided to end the threat that this supposedly immortal monkey and all of his allies represented. It was time for him to go to the land of Emperor Yama, one of the gods of death. The monkey king awoke to a start, to four generals of Yama binding him to cart him to the land of the dead, announcing that there was nothing he could do to stop them. They didn't see the handsome monkey king's hand on the move, and even if they did, what danger was it? He was just getting some sewing needle he kept tucked behind his ear. And that is where we're going to leave it this week. Next week, we'll pick back up with the story and see the Monkey King solve this minor clerical error with a lot of bludgeoning the servants of the Land of Darkness with a staff the size and weight of a Mack truck. I want to say thanks to CEW, Craneberg Sandback Rovers, Zombie Farmer Deluxe, Morgan the Historian, Deke88, Big Stew, Victorian Lady Newberg, 
Ex Veritas, Godzilla Con 3, Dabby Time, Rasher Lish, Oki Kra, Helmar 47, and Kingmaker 82 for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is still a great place. And you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There is also a membership thing on the site. For less than the cost of a hands-free shower back scrubber that attaches to the wall and lets you wash your back like a bear, you can get extra episodes, source pack ebooks, and ad-free versions of the show that won't make every shower time look like a Charmin commercial. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is the Ningyo from Japan. The Ningyo means literally human fish, but it's not a mermaid. That would be too normal. The human fish is neither human nor really a fish. It roughly has the body of a fish, but with ape-like arms with webbed fingers. It has a monkey-like face and mouth, small sharp teeth, and golden scales. Oh, and did I mention it has a fantastic voice? The siren from Greece is a beautiful creature whose songs lure sailors to their death. The human fish, however, is kind of the exact opposite of the siren. It's an ugly creature who just wants to be left alone, and its hypnotic song will make you do just that. Get out of here. With their intricate sea society, they know all about the arts of healing and magic, and if it lops off a chunk of its own arm and lets you eat it, then it'll give you immortality, or at least an abnormally long life that you can use to try and forget about the human fish that tore off a chunk of its own arm and shoved it down your throat. There's the story of the fisherman who caught the human fish and offered his buddies a taste. When they looked and saw the human-like face of the fish, they all politely declined. And so the fisherman, now several drinks deep on sake, wrapped the meat up and went home. Once there, he tossed the meat to his daughter to eat, which she did. And nothing more was said about that until she turned 20 and remained 20. She stayed young while her husband grew old and died, while her many husbands, and while her great-great-great-great-grandchildren grew old and died. The 20-year-old became a nun and traveled the world before returning to her homeland some 800 years later to die as the magic finally wore off. The immortality, combined with the fact that their tears are priceless pearls, seems to indicate that you should try to catch this creature. There are, of course, Warnings about misfortune and storms if you do. But at that point, really, that's kind of everybody else's problem. You're super rich and immortal, making human fish jerky to last even longer than 800 years. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes, and I want to say thanks again to Simply Safe for sponsoring us this week. There are over 2 million burglaries reported each year, yet only 1 in 5 homes have home security. Maybe because most companies don't make it easy. That's why Simply Safe is my top choice, hands down. Simply Safe protects your whole home, every window, room, and door, with 24-7 monitoring for a fraction of the cost. Visit simplysafe.com/legends and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You really have nothing to lose. Go now to simplysafe.com legends so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com legends. All right, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.